I'm going to cover 2,000 years of history in 30 minutes. Um, and that is, if Jesus is functioning this way through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we ought to see uh, his followers doing that too. And we do. Um, we see the apostles uh, healing the sick, uh, healing cripples, uh, casting out demons, raising the dead. Peter does that in Acts 9. Uh, Paul does that later on in Acts. We don't know for sure that the young man that fell out of the window uh, you know, while Paul was preaching was dead, but that tells you something about how exciting it is to listen to Paul. He fell asleep and fell out of the window. <laughs> I can't criticize him. I've had jurors do that to me. Uh, but um, we do see the continuation of the Holy Spirit's ministry that we saw in Jesus. We do see uh, continuing in the Acts. In the upper room, for example, uh, the 120 that were in the upper room, uh, when the Holy Spirit came, we don't. It, it doesn't indicate that only the apostles spoke in tongues or were filled with the Spirit. But it says they uh, and various tongues extended to those that were there. So we know that the Holy Spirit came upon uh, the 120 that were there. I don't have time to get into an exposition of tongues. I do think they are functional today. Why I'm not a charismatic in the sense that I, I don't agree that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is always manifested by tongues. I think it can be. But I think that you have manifestations of the Holy Spirit we, uh, other than by tongues. In, in the New Testament, in Acts 1, Acts 2, the tongues came not as a sign to the apostles, but for the purpose of the crowd that came. Uh, in, the, in other words, it was a sign to them. Uh, but when you get to uh, Peter preaching before Cornelius' household, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they're speaking in tongues. But that is a sign to Peter and his people that the Gentiles uh, have been brought in. Uh, so it can and it can't. I think it's a mistake to get into an argument over whether that's uh, the case or not. But the point is, the power of the Holy Spirit has consistently come upon people. The baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, is not just limited to Pentecost, but it is continual. And you will see, for example, in Acts 4, uh, when they are arrested, Peter and John, by the Sanhedrin, they are brought before the Sanhedrin and asked to give an account of their teaching and also their healing of the cripple who was at the gate. And it starts off by saying, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does it say that? He got filled with the Holy Spirit back in Acts 2. It is because this is a fresh empowerment. Uh, and he is facing a situation he'd never faced before. We see Paul uh, in Acts 13 when he is trying to talk uh, to Sergius Paulus, uh, the governor. Uh, he's being interrupted by uh, a, a guy that's filled with a devil uh, who is trying to keep Sergius Paulus uh, from hearing the gospel. It says Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? There's a fresh empowerment coming on him. The Holy Spirit comes upon us 
uh, and continues to come upon us, and he has done so down through the millennium. Uh, and of course, what we want is to see the same thing happen to us, to the church that we saw happen uh, at Pentecost. And it does. It goes down through the millennia. I can give you lots of examples. Uh, the, let's just, I can tell you, the 17th century, uh, John Livingston at Kirk of Chots, uh, in Scotland, uh, praying the night before giving communion, uh, and up all night praying, asking that God speak through him. When he gets up there to speak, wham, the Holy Spirit comes down on him, and 500 people are converted right there on the spot. <clears throat> David Brainerd in the 17th century uh, was called to the Delaware Indians in the 18th century, called to the Delaware Indians in the 1740s, prayed for them, interceded for them. <clears throat> they tried to kill him at one point. They were going to surround him and kill him, uh, and then they saw a serpent uh, rising up to strike him, and they said, oh, let's let the serpent do it. And they backed off, and then the serpent uncoiled and went away. And they went, what? Uh, but when he is preaching the gospel to them, the Spirit of God comes down on them and knocks them all down. Uh, and there is tremendous conversion uh, of the Delaware Indians. In the Great Awakening in the 1740s, both in England and America, you have powerful preachers, George Whitfield in England, Daniel Rowland, uh, Hal Harrison in Wales. Uh, you have the same thing going on at the same time in the uh, new, uh, North America with Jonathan Edwards, uh, Peter and Gilbert Tennant, and what you and, and then of course also John Wesley in England. What's interesting is is that it's sort of like all these guys are getting filled with the Spirit in the 1730s, and in comes the uh, Great Awakening in the 1740s. Uh, 1800, there is a second Great Awakening in America. Uh, in 1857, in New York, a man named uh, um, Jeremiah Lanfear was moved by the Holy Spirit to start a prayer meeting in New York City. The first, October 1857, the first time it happened, <clears throat> he had the meeting, six showed. The next time, 10. The next time, 20. The next week, 40. Within two months, 5,000 were trying to cram into prayer. Uh, the, um, the pastors of churches in downtown New York were opening things up for prayer. People were constantly, thousands were trying to pray because the Holy Spirit was moving on them. It was a prayer revival. It resulted in a revival that spread as far west as Ohio, covered all of New England and down into the south. This is three years before the Civil War. Uh, the power of the revival was so great that ships coming in from Europe, it was like there was a curtain, a Holy, Holy Spirit curtain at sea. Ships would come in, once they passed under that curtain, whole crews and passengers would fall down, confess their sins, and get saved. You'd have a Christian ship by the time they got to New York Harbor. Uh, <clears throat> there was a gentleman named Humphrey Jones, uh, who was from Wales, who was caught up in this revival. He decided he wanted Wales to experience what he was seeing in New York. He goes back to Wales and starts preaching in churches, and the power of the Holy Spirit starts falling on him. Uh, the, uh, uh, in one of his uh, uh, times he was preaching, a pastor named David Morgan was there. And David Morgan was nothing to get excited about as a pastor. Uh, he probably had lots of people fall out the second story window. Uh, 
he was not particularly, uh, you know, not a dynamic pastor. He gives his own testimony. He says, I went to bed that night uh, as David Morgan. I got up the next morning feeling like a lion. And for two years, God used him in Wales to bring powerful revival up and down Wales. Morgan has an interesting testimony there, too. He says, after two years, one night I went to bed feeling like a lion. I woke up the next morning as David Morgan. <laughs> he lived another 15 years, but never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Like <clears throat> because you cannot make the Holy Spirit do what the whole, you want him to do. He comes and he goes. Uh, Hal Harris... Uh, was converted in the 1730s uh, in, in Wales. Uh, three weeks later, he was sitting in a bell tower of a church uh, reading the scripture and praying, and suddenly the Holy Spirit fell on him. And he became a powerful preacher of the gospel. But at times it would leave, and he would be begging God to please bring back your spirit, pour out your spirit on him. And he would pour out his spirit on him. And then again, sometimes it would leave, and he would call out to God, pour out your spirit on me, and God would pour out his spirit on him. Uh, we do not control the Holy Spirit. I remember hearing an advertisement for some kind of uh, healing service or something, and the guy on the radio was saying, come and get your miracle from God. You can't make that comment. You can't tell what God is going to do. What we know is that God is good. Now, how do we get revivals? Do we need revival today? Desperately. Desperately. Um, I remember um, Dwight L. Moody. I didn't know the man. Some people think I did. Um, Dwight L. Moody had a tremendous uh, ministry in Chicago preaching at uh, a church in Chicago. One day, two little ladies came back to his study afterwards, and they said, Dr. Moody, we are praying that you will get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, that aggravated him and irritated him. Can we pray for you now? All right. So he gets down on his knees, they pray for him. He gets up from his knees, and he is thirsty for the Holy Spirit. Doesn't get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but thirsty for the Holy Spirit. Uh, he goes for some months pleading, crying out to God, asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, then in New York City one day, the Holy Spirit on Wall Street falls on him. And there's a friend's house across the street. He runs to that house. And asked the friend, if you got a bedroom where I can get by myself from the yeah, second floor, he goes up there and the spirit begins to be poured out on him. And he finally has to say, Stay your hand, I'm going to explode. Thereafter, Moody was a powerful evangelist. Amen. Uh, whereas one or two might get saved in his preaching, they got saved in the scores, in the hundreds, and in the thousands. Because it is the Holy Spirit that does this. When Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them, to obey that which I have taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is intended that we will do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, For the Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, folks, uttermost parts of the earth, we ain't reached yet. So that commission is still in effect. 
it is by the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Uh, that yeah, does that mean well unless I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit I can't witness? No, absolutely not. Because we witness not by our mouths but also by our lives. Uh, and so we are continuing to be witnesses wherever we are. But so often when the power of the Spirit comes, then you see stuff like Pentecost and things like that. Let me suggest to you in the time I've got left. Let me see if I'm leaving something out here. Uh, you know, there was a tremendous revival, for example, in uh, Wales in 1904. And the main pastor there was Evan Roberts. Uh, I had a, heard a guy one time who grew up in Wales <clears throat> in 1904 in that time. And the, the revival in Wales was so overwhelming that his family finally moved to the lake country in England, uh, leaving Wales. And he said until they moved to the lake country in England, he didn't realize there were unbelievers because everybody was so thoroughly uh, you know, converted in Wales. And I remember one guy reading his article that he had some business in one of the counties where the revival was going, and as soon as his carriage crossed over the bridge into that county, he had this overwhelming desire to confess his sins and fall down before Christ. And he resisted doing it, and it just drove him nuts the whole time he was there. He got his business done. He got in that carriage, rushed back as soon as the carriage went over that bridge again and lifted. I don't understand that. And I don't think that's the sort of thing you can make a formula out of. I don't understand it. But I do know when revival comes, there is this tremendous power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we are in desperate need of that. Acts 1 lists a number of principles that govern the rest of the book of Acts, but also govern church history. And let me just give you two principles. And uh, there's a couple of guys, and I cannot think of their names right now, but they are um, historians, revival historians. I mean, they've studied revivals down through the years. And um, there are two characteristics that precede every revival, they say, and you see both of them in Acts 1. One is the powerful preaching of the scriptures. Uh, where did that happen? Jesus was doing that with uh, the apostles and the disciples. <coughs> the second is devoted, continuous prayer. We know in Acts 1.14 that after Jesus ascended, they went back to the upper room and they engaged in continuous prayer. Uh, when there's an interesting uh, uh, thesis or dissertation in Southwest Seminary, I found it accidentally one day because I go out to the seminary just to study uh, for when I'm going to teach something. I'm out there so often they think I'm staff. <laughs> uh, but I found this dissertation. It's called it talking about uh, prayer prayer necessary to bring revival. And it gives an entire history of revival starting in the Old Testament and going through to our times. It was written in 1985. <clears throat> Sitting there reading it, a seminary student came up to me. He said, we don't see people reading the dissertations very much. I said, yes, I know. And he said, what, 
what is this one about? I said, I'm not telling you. Uh, I, I don't want you getting it. I'm not through reading it. But what he shows is, is down through the centuries, prayer has been the main focus before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and what he shows also is that the Holy Spirit will begin to prompt prayer in the believers when he's getting ready to bring a revival. And the first thing he does is he purifies the believers who are the intercessory prayer. And he starts bringing sins to light that you had forgotten about. And it, it can be very difficult at first because you have to continue confessing those. Uh, and then you get to the point where you are utterly in his power to do as he commands. And sometimes the Jeremiah Lanfear in the 1857 revival is an example. Uh, in 1949, in the New Hebrides uh, Islands off of Scotland, uh, a pastor and his elders felt that they needed to pray. They started praying. Unrelated to them and unaware of that, two elderly sisters in their 80s who were uh, homebound started praying for revival. And seven young men started meeting in a barn once a week to pray for revival. It hit, and thousands were converted. Uh, and he documents again and again and again how prayer is ongoing. It is prayer that is unified. And not always do the people praying know about the other people. But it is the Holy Spirit that is moving them to pray. And uh, the question is, is anybody feeling the sense that God is moving them to pray uh, today? Uh, I think he wants to. I, th I think his desire is to bring as many people into the kingdom as possible. And so I would encourage us to begin to seek after him and pray. Well, I'm going to shut it down. Uh, yes, ma'am. As you were speaking, I was thinking of the verse, and I cannot remember where it is. Something to the effect that uh, repent, and, and uh, the Lord will hear our voice. Second. Yes. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Does it say repent? It says if they will hear my voice, humble themselves. I think it does say repent. Yeah, repent of their wicked ways. People always quoting Second Chronicles seven fourteen. It's a good verse, but you ought to read the one right in front of it. If I bring a plague, if I bring a famine, if I do this or that. And my people humble themselves and pray and repent of their wicked ways. I will heal their land. Now, he's not talking about a nation. He would with regard to Israel because they were God's people. He's not talking about America. The people he's talking about are us. Uh, and the worse things get, that is designed to bring his people to get on their knees, humble themselves, repent of their evil ways and ask his spirit to be coming upon us. Yeah, it's a good verse. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, that is a terrific verse and I think it has application to us as the people of God, not to America. But his desire is to deliver uh, not just his people but those who are in darkness. And You know, we, millions could come into darkness, from out of darkness into the church in the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be pursuing that. We certainly want to be witnessing to everybody we're around. But 
we want to see revival come because that is uh, the way we bring in thousands. And we're running out of time, folks. Uh, we're running out of time. I think the end is upon us. Uh, not going to name the Antichrist. Don't know who that is. Not going to give you the rapture. I haven't been given that. But I do know that he does want uh, to bring revival. Now, there is revival moving, and you want to be careful about this. I think it's a false revival. And that's where people are, uh, supposedly the spirit is falling on people. They're running around barking like dogs, cackling like chickens, uh, writhing and screaming. I don't think that is the Holy Spirit. And I'll just tell you flat out. Uh, Dave Wilkerson, before he died, renounced that sort of thing. I do not think that's the Holy Spirit. And that is going on around us. Uh, I don't think the Holy Spirit humiliates people by making them act like dogs. Granted, he did it to Nebuchadnezzar, but he needed it. Uh, But it wasn't being filled with the Holy Spirit that did that. The Holy Spirit wants to exalt his people, not humiliate them into acting like animals, cackling like chickens and that sort of thing. If you see that sort of thing going on, I would suggest you run from it. That sort of thing started going on during the Great Awakening in the 1740s, and Jonathan Edwards wrote a pamphlet against it. So be very careful, because the enemy will come in and counterfeit. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness that you display to your people. That you are determined before the foundation of the world uh, to redeem your people and to fill them with the Holy Spirit and to pour out the Holy Spirit upon them that we might be your instruments to bring many to Christ to display the goodness of God through signs and wonders and miracles of the Holy Spirit and at the same time to declare the reign of Christ who is in heaven seated at the right hand of God and also to capture the attention of the unbeliever. And Lord, we ask that you would use us in this way. The church in Acts, Lord, prayed for signs and wonders. We pray for it here too. But signs and wonders that accompany the gospel, not the other way around. Pour out your spirit, Lord. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.